I'll start by saying this is Hooplecast, and I'm joined by Steve and Will. Back hey. to talk about episodes two and three. Yes, yes. I should look up what the titles are. The first one's Whitey's on the Moon. Well, I mean, that's the second episode, but it's the first we're going to talk about. Uh, Whitey's on the Moon, and then the second is Holy Ghost. I want to start by saying I've seen some comments online about the second episode. Uh, specifically, there was somebody posting on my... Well, on their own Facebook feed, but it all, it all trickles into my feed. Um, and the person was saying, I don't know if I should start watching this show because the first episode, everyone said it was great and I can't wait to see more, but everyone's angry with the second episode saying that it's terrible and they felt deceived. I thought that's strange. Um, I'm like, uh, okay. <laughs> deceived how, how so? I don't know. I don't know really what the objection is. I, I mean, I know that I didn't like it as much as the other, either the other two episodes. Uh, I have, pr- I had problems with the episode, but I didn't, I wouldn't quit the show. If I had not read the book, I would not have quit the show after the second episode, but I don't know. Um, I, there's one person among the three of us who hasn't read the book. So Steve, what did you think of this episode two? Why these on the moon? So I did think episode two was weaker than episode one, right? So you start off episode one strong, uh, and then you come in with episode two. Um, I, I didn't feel deceived. There are a couple of fantasy scenes where things are happening within the minds of the character and not actually happening in real life. So maybe that's the deceiving part, but it all tied into the episode. So I don't, I don't know. I, I didn't feel deceived as a as a viewer. Um, I I am I am happy that that was like a, a one and done. We can we can now move on with the rest of the story. Like we we aren't stuck in that mansion for the rest of the season. Like I I was afraid we were going to. It's um, in fact I'm I'm surprised that we. The, the mansion didn't last as long as I thought it would. <laughs> <laughs> they built a whole mansion in a computer. There's one thing I've seen people say, like every episode seems like a season finale. Like, okay, what are they going to do next? And like, just you wait. There were a couple of times in the second episode where I think they kind of jerked from one thing to the next without a whole lot of transition or explanation, exposition about you know what it happened. I just think that might have been a little confusing if you. Oh yeah, I've, I was definitely book. confused yeah. in the episode. There, there's a lot of things that maybe the book uh, expands upon. Yeah, um, but you know, it just like uh, there's a village um, somewhere near the the mansion, and they they go walking through the village, but they don't bother explaining who these people are, or you know, what their connection to the mansion is, or. It's just a really uh, odd location that they're at. And, um, I, you know, uh, Matt was mentioning that uh, all the episodes are kind of like one-and-done episodes, like the old uh, Star Trek TNG. I definitely had a feeling that this was like an away team being down to, uh, uh, you know, a strange civilization and just being totally out of out of their element for the whole episode. So I said on this guy's Facebook feed when I replied, I said, you gotta, I mean, maybe this is just a suggestion, but approach the show like a 90s TV show. 
Stop expecting every episode to flow into the next one. I know our brains have been kind of reconfigured and trained to expect heavily serialized stories at this point. But in the 90s, Mulder and Scully would, like, investigate a sewer monster. And then the next week, it was a huge alien threat to an entire, you know, species. And then we're back to, you know, a golem. It was like, shouldn't Mulder and Scully care about the super important thing and not chase a shapeshifter? Well, that's just not how TV was. It's the same with, like, Buffy, you know? It was like, shouldn't we be concerned about the end of the world? Yeah, well, this time, this week we're going to do a comedy episode where Xander creates a love spell. Like, just go with it. Like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, definitely. But about the second episode, I thought the whole stuff in the village was so cursory and that if you weren't going to spend enough time in, to explain all of that, like why even show it? Exactly. It, it was some kind of like pre-industrial Amish village and none of them seemed concerned that there was three strangers walking amongst them. It was very odd. It, it was unsettling is what it was. And, and it, it, it added to the unsettling nature that they were, you know, the, the characters were going through. So maybe, maybe that's just the point. I mean, they weren't going to get any help from those villagers. That's that, that was clear. They were on their own. Yeah, the pacing in that one was super fast. Yeah. I didn't like the dream sequence things. And I think, I don't know, there was, there's definitely 10 minutes of that episode that should have been taken <laughs> out. Um, or like, like a section of it. And then the other part expanded and a little more breathing room. Um, I'd like to know how it would tie into the rest of the series because I'm I'm kind of curious whether you could just remove that whole episode entirely from the season. Um, they you did introduce some of the the uh, Blath Blathwhites, Braithwhites, 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 Braithwhites. So I I think the Braithwhites, you know, you'll keep seeing them pop up here and there, um, but um, you know. You know the mansion collapses. A lot of the a lot of the white guys that were introduced, they all die in the episode, or you know disappear. You never see again. So it's, it's kind of interesting. Like you you set up this big bad, and it all you know is for naught by the end of the episode. I guess that's the deception part. That yeah. it's about Atti- that the show is going to be about Atticus and his finding his father and uncovering his backstory, and then it's like well. Enough of that. (laughs) (laughs) Spend enough time on that already. But it comes back around at the end of the third episode. Like she shows up, and you know he sees her car, and she's got some. She's she's influenced Letitia in some way of of wiring her money. So there's a there's a recurring, you know, an underlying thread. It's just we're not in Artem anymore. Hope you enjoyed the 60 minutes we were there. <laughs> uh, I, I think the 60 minutes we were there was enough, so I'm, I'm happy to be moved on. Um, I did do some fun facts for uh, Whitey's on the Moon. Okay. Um, so the title, Whitey's on the Moon, is a Gil Scott Heron um, spoken word poem from 1970. So Stay. once again, we're... Played during the episode, right? Yeah, you played it during the episode. 
And um, uh, it's kind of the the poem there is criticizing the space program, um, saying it was a distraction uh, that the U.S. used um, to kind of avoid internal problems, especially the marginalization of Black Americans. So you got this um, this whole white agenda. You know, in, in this episode, it was opening up a portal to the Garden of Eden. Meanwhile, it was at the expense of Black Americans. You know, it was, uh, you know, uh, we, we got our own problems over here. You know, <laughs> and here you are with these grandiose plans of you know opening opening up the Garden of Eden for your your sons of Adam uh, cult. And it's kind of you know, very far-fetched ideas, but we got real-world problems over here going on. Yeah, and that's kind of echoed in the third episode when Montrose tells Atticus, like, you want to tell George's wife that it was wizards that killed your husband <laughs> and also white people have magic. Like, how is that going to make her feel? <laughs> <laughs> They said white people have magic too. You know, he said that's right. Yeah, like how so. many advantages do they need? <laughs> so, um, so it, I will talk about the first opening kind of fantasy ooh, fantasy scene. It's where everyone, um, uh, Letty has a closet full of clothes that perfectly fit her. Right. Uh, Uncle George has bookshelves upon bookshelves of uh, books, and he's just happy to, to read all his books. And um, well, while this is all playing, you, you hear the music of uh, Moving On Up. Mm-hmm. And um, Moving On Up uh, was written for the TV show The Jeffersons, which aired in 1975. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> You know who wrote the song? I think it was written by an actress on uh, Jeanette Dubois and Jeff Berry, and uh, Dubois she, sang the theme song. She was on some. I can't remember. If she was on the Jeffersons or another show, but yeah, that was. They're talking about that on Howard Stern one day. How Living on Up was written by an actress. She was on one of those shows back then. Anyway. Jefferson's um, spinoff of All in the Family. Uh, it's one of the longest-running sitcoms featuring a primary African-American cast and a tactical such issues as alcoholism, racism, suicide, gun control, uh, being transgender, the KKK, and adult illiteracy. And, of course, moving on up uh, refers to the Jeffersons moving from Queens to Eastside Manhattan. It had a spinoff called Checking In, and it lasted four episodes. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> four episodes. That's... <laughs> oh, she was on Good Times. It seems like back then there were a lot more spinoffs of sitcoms than there are today. Yeah. Golden Girls had a spinoff. Mm-hmm. With uh, Don Cheadle. And they were at a hotel. Oh, uh, yeah. Um, was it called the Golden Palace? I think so. Let's not go down have... the road. <laughs> Let's not list all the spinoffs of every show. <laughs> like, Mary Tyler Moore had, like, three spinoffs. Lou Grant, 
Oh yeah, I'm um, sure it had more than that. Rhoda yeah. and the Phyllis one. I think it was just called Phyllis. It was like <laughs> just doesn't happen today. Mama's family was it wasn't that a spin off of Anyway. Sorry. Anyway, we're doing it. <laughs> <laughs> I just it's just interesting that something that's set in the nineteen fifties, you know, a period piece set in nineteen fifties, continues to use this audio track from a later period in time, it still has relevance, right? Because it's it's still talking about the African-American plight on America, um, you know, Whitey's on the moon and moving on up. Um, and the previous episode had the, the Baldwin speech, right? But it, it is interesting that they're, they're layering on these, um, these, this audio track from uh, another era of time, from a future era of time. Time is a circle, and, Steve. I didn't know if you knew that. Well, it, it makes me wonder how far have we advanced as American society if we're still like struggling with these issues decade after decade after decade. I mean, these are still the words spoken 20 years into the future of this time period still has impact. And um, I, I think that's a conscious choice. It's interesting because especially with moving on up, that kind of took me out. Uh, and I wanted to research that and like, all right, that's got to be like a gospel song from way back. No, it's from 1975, you know, for, for a very specific TV show <laughs> that has nothing to do with this, but it, it, it just, it has that has layers and mm-hmm. it's, it's interesting how they, they approach those layers and how they, they tackle that. Has that, has the usage of audio from the future um, been discussed on the podcast, Lovecraft radio? Um, not really, not really. I, I mean, they, it is a conscious effort Yeah, that they, they, they wanted to, and they don't have to, I mean, they don't have to add any audio whatsoever, or they can add, you know, score instead of, you know, some soundtrack, um, from someplace else. So it, it is a conscious effort to do that. Yeah. It's very, um, it's a distinct style choice that I really like. They're going to use a Beyonce song in episode three. I will probably talk about that um, when I get there. But I saw that. I saw Misha Green say that on Twitter. Or maybe it was one of the writer, other writers. In episode what? Three. The next episode. They're going to use a Beyonce. They, will, yeah. oh, the next episode we're going to talk about. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, okay. So from Lovecraft Country Radio, um, so writer Shannon Houston did have some behind the scenes uh, in the writer's room talk. Um, she's, she feels very protective of our, our main heroes, right? So a lot of these um, fantasy scenes where, you know, Atticus and uh, Letty get it on and then Atticus pulls down his pants and has a snake dick. She, she was very uh, reserved didn't you know didn't want um didn't want uh, uh Atticus attacking Letty especially with his snake dick um and you know didn't want the our heroes to ever be in a position where they were potentially bad guys to each other so it's very defensive I completely forgot about Snake I Dick. For- how do you forget about I, Snake I don't know how I for- I think I blocked it out. Um, <laughs> I will say that there... Okay, I have to... 
<laughs> when I'm watching the show and there are goofy, there's a lot of goofiness. Uh, the snake dick is the big one, but I think um, runner up might be baby on um, head of adult in episode yeah. three. Yeah. <laughs> or the big blobby thing that comes out of the floor. And I just have to remind myself that this is like inspired by pulp fiction, like garbagey novels and short stories. <laughs> like it's not inspired by highbrow literature. It's supposed to be goofy and fun and silly and gory. And that's what you're getting. So it's not highbrow. It's not refined. And maybe that's what people are expecting. And I have to do that adjustment myself to be like, okay, this is what I might read in a Lovecraft novel or some other novel that Uncle George would have on his bookshelf. That's yeah. how I'm trying to like recontextualize. Yeah, that the, you have to remember that prologue from episode one, where it's just wackiness and kind of goofy monsters flying through the air, and and it's that level of like CGI craziness that that happens. And if you're not ready for it, <laughs> I think they're telling a really interesting like a real story, and then they throw in these elements that uh, make it a little pulpy. And um, throw you out of it. Maybe, you know, I, I was talking about the audio throwing me out of it. Maybe it's all part of, you know, just you got to soak it all in and not uh, not not be kind of um, limited in your thinking of this is how this show should be. It You know, it opens it up to all sorts of possibilities, all sorts of different genres and um, elements so they they remind you constantly like you know just just enjoy sit back and enjoy let it you know let your mind soak it in anything else about episode 2 um oh there was the baby shagoth live birth the cow gave birth to a, a baby shagoth <laughs> you yeah. remember that wackiness yes <laughs> speaking of wackiness yes <laughs> <laughs> It's not explained. It's, you know, there's like hardly any dialogue that goes through that scene. It's just, it happens. Okay. Yeah. And I'm not um, confident that things will be explained. Like if this was Damon Lindelof and Watchmen, I would be like, this might be something that gets paid off in episode 10. Like they're not telling us now, but they might tell us later. In this show, I, I, I have no anticipation that certain things will get paid off. Well, so I do have two other things. Will, do you have anything for episode two? Uh, I think that's it. Um, yeah. <laughs> I don't want to be like, okay, this is what's different from the book. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, kind of, yeah, I guess this, we go along. It seems like they're straying a little bit more and more, but still they got the major, the major fl flow and plot from the books is there. Is the mansion destroyed in the book? Yes. So early on. Because they made yes. a point of saying that this part of the mansion burned down back in the day and was rebuilt perfectly, and then it gets destroyed again. I mean, it's, this is the last we see of the mansion. I guess you could wow. assume that maybe they rebuilt it. I don't know, but we never go back to it. Do you remember <laughs> what the, the significance of the villagers and the village, like... Uh, not really. They explain it, but it just it wasn't that important. <laughs> um, 
Yeah, dude. Yeah, they were. Yeah, I don't really remember that much. I know. I think they provide like a lot of the food for them, but um, yeah, they're there for a reason. But I don't really remember. Of the few Lovecraft stories I've read, the one that I like the most is um, Shadow Over Innsmouth. And I mentioned this last time we recorded, but that has the same kind of like setup. Like the people in the in the village are deformed and weird and there's a rich family that kind of controls everything and everyone else is sort of like a supplicant to that rich family of course the rich family is also incestuous and weird and maybe they're mating with fish people too i think they were Mm -hmm. so it's i think that's like this is like influenced by that like this is this is the weird rich people family but then this is the outlying weird people that live in the village nearby. It's the place where Montrose was being held captive. That's pretty much the main significance of it. But, um, yeah, that's right. So the, the two things I had, so first one, um, I, I think the, the not Butler William, uh, blonde hair, blue eyed guy, um, uh, tells, uh, the guys that um, there's going to be a black tie only and men only dinner that they're invited to. And I just thought that was, that was interesting that those, the black tie men only um, the rules and rituals and traditions and bylaws are all designed to, um, for the sole reason of excluding others. Right. So, I mean, and you know, I've been to black tie events and, you know, I've been, on you know participate on a boys only soccer team and i never really thought about that being exclusion of others but you know i i guess in that setting um this was the sons of adam which have bylaws about excluding all sorts of people for their you know um um perfect vision of how the world should be and all the way down to Oh, you gotta wear you gotta wear a black tie and uh, you know tux jacket uh, before you can even be seen. So those those little little uh, hints of exclusion of others um, goes all the way down to just like attire and you know excluding Letty from the the the, the rest of the the meeting. Though that 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 I found interesting that 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 the William character kind of pointed that out. And the William character, we didn't see him die, so he could potentially come back later. I think he does, because I think I saw him in one of the previews. Okay. So, I I don't know how I feel about him. Is he a good guy? Is he a bad guy? Uh, He's, Uh, like, pulling out all the problems, but he doesn't really take any action against them. Well, what do you think about Christina? Oh, wow. I, I... from the second episode, I kind of liked her. And then the third episode, we'll get to that. Third episode, you know, my, my opinion of her dropped a little bit. Um, so right now I'm, I'm rooting more for William to being an upstanding guy over Christina. So this is a gender swap situation. In the book, she was Caleb Braithwaite. Or Braithwaite. Mm-hmm. Uh, I like, though, that this is a woman because now we have the... Like she said... I'm excluded from this powerful group. Right. You know. Right. So she feels it too. Yeah. 
from a so she should be you know she should be sympathetic to um, others that have are excluded as well. Right. But. That's how it works. <laughs> <laughs> uh, right. Uh, and then the, the last point I'll make on episode two, uh, we do, we do rescue um, Montrose, uh, but unfortunately uncle George dies. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I kind of expected him to die in the first episode, so it wasn't a huge shock that he died. But the fact that he died off screen and not, you know, he didn't have a, a you know a final triumphant, um, you know, scene. He just he died. He was in the car. He's already dead. Um, that that felt um, unsatisfactory. It was an unsatisfied yes. death, and I'm a little frustrated with that. And why, why have a whole episode where you can do anything you want, you know, you have this mansion, you have, you know, magic going everywhere. You saved Letty, right? She was dead as well. You saved her, but Uncle George, the, uh, I was rooting for Uncle George too, but I can't save them all, I guess. But yeah, I, I was upset. You saved Montrose, but Uncle George dies. It's not really a, a balanced trade. No, it's not fair. Yeah. No. And but no death is satisfactory. I guess that's Note about episode 2. I liked the bit where Christina says that her father doesn't associate with the clan because the clan is poor. <laughs> They're both white men in robes. But it's the that's economics right. that is why he wouldn't associate with them. Yeah. As if so. racism's not bad enough. You, you add in sexism, elitism, and this religious zealotry. You, you, you just layer again, more layers. You, you're adding. It's a, uh, it's a rung. Everyone's on a different rung of the ladder. And, uh, Christina's, uh, family, the sons of Adam, they're at the top. They think. Yeah. So Christina can be racist elitist, but she doesn't fall into that sexism wrong. Right. Sorry. Sorry, girl. You got it. You're excluded. <laughs> Too many. Yeah. But, uh, episode two, Whitey on the moon, not as good as sundown. Uh, but just, just stick it out. Just kind of blow past episode two. It was fine. There was stuff to like and stuff to cringe at. I, Whatever. It would not be a jump the shark moment for me. It would not be a I'm not watching the show. It betrayed me. <laughs> I don't even know what that means, honestly. It's like, what do you think this TV show owes you? <laughs> we have no patience these days. We had to slog through a season of Star Trek The Next Generation before it got good. Maybe you can even say two seasons. The one bad episode and you're ready to quit. Mm. Okay, so episode three is called Holy Ghost. In the book, it's called Dreams of the Witch House. That's the name of the chapter. And Letitia receives a mysterious inheritance and buys a house in a white neighborhood. Mm -hmm. And is going to turn it into a boarding house. 
Yeah, I think I said on Facebook somewhere that this was basically Journey Smollett doing for your consideration. <laughs> she got to stand out and she got to shine in this episode, I think. She had like a, such a wide range of emotions from happiness to terror to, you know, everything. Righteous anger. anger. Righteous yeah. anger. Yeah, even um, uh, a moment of shame. I, you know, she she had a, a slight moment of that. So yeah, she she had a wide range of emotions this episode. I really uh, love following the Lovecraft Country hashtag on Twitter on Sunday nights because she and Misha Green are usually live tweeting and plus all the fans watching and people are like living for this show. <laughs> Having a lot of fun watching this episode. Especially everybody seemed to really enjoy. So I watched this episode twice. So the first time I just watched it to enjoy it. And I did. I did uh, enjoy the hell out of this episode. It's, it, I love a good haunted house story, right? And um, for, for a minute there, I thought we were going to get like practical effect haunted house. Like no CGI. Because you could do that. And back in the day, they did. Um uh, for for things like uh, the haunting of Hill House, you know, old school um, Vincent Price kind of thing. I mean, you you could go, and for half the episode, the first half of the episode, that's what exactly what it was. It was um, you know banging noises down in the basement. It was you know kind of jump scares, um, and I was I was loving it. Any, any horror fan would kind of um, uh, love that. Um, uh, and then there, there was some CGI. There was the the baby's head on the uh, the, the big guy's body. Um, <laughs> that kind of it, it changed the the episode morphed. It's one of those things where you know you gotta gotta just take it all in, accept it for what it is. It can morph. Um, but um, now, second time I watched it, I was I was a little more um, uh, critical watching it. In the critical, I, I put on closed captions so because I, I wanted to make sure I captured everything that uh, was said and um this uh, episode actually gives a date in the summer of 1955 right so i think i had previously thought it was sometime after 1953 right because it was um had to be after war of the world's uh film in 1953 and after the korean war which was 1950 to 1953 so had to be after that so i i we got a definitive 1955, and on the radio we hear uh, "Fats Domino, Ain't That a Shame," which uh, came out in 1955. So I, I think we we now set the date. Um, and I don't know why I'm so so interested in what what time period this is set in, but um, it, it is like a, a sliver of American history, even though it's. Um, some fantasy elements of American history, but it's there, there is that um, kind of connective tissue. And every time they, they make a reference to something, I'm like, Oh, when, when did that occur? When, what's, uh, what's going on there? And um, so I'm, I'm, I'm always interested in, in American history and dates for that. I don't know if I have any deep takeaways from this episode. Um, I wonder why the white neighbors didn't object to the brick being on the horn. I, you'd think they'd get annoyed. I guess that was one of my questions. 
Um, and also, I don't really see her living situation improving very much, uh, just because three guys were killed in her house. There's there's a lot more than three guys objecting to her moving into the neighborhood. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. A lot of unfriendly neighbors. That cop wasn't killed, so... At the end, it kind of made it seem like all is well, that the ghost got on her side, she repelled the evil, and now she can live there in peace and start a business for the the more down-on-their-luck on their kind of, you know, um, financially challenged person. Uh, and not her artist friends just flopping there, but, like, provide a service for her community, which is a great thing, but I just wonder, like, how realistic that is. Well, maybe her lemonade moments, uh, her car smashing moments scared off the neighbors. That, this was the, that was the scene where they were going to use a Beyonce. So I don't know if you've all seen the video where she's smashing cars, windows. She's walking in slow motion and um, smashing car windows. And that is video for one of her songs. So they wanted to use that song in this scene. They never said why they didn't. So I kind of mm. wonder why. I've seen the uh, Titus Andromedon version of that from yeah. the Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt. <laughs> yeah, that was hilarious. So I know that uh, Beyonce uh, Lemonade was um, in response to Hurricane Katrina. And you know, the, the people in New Orleans that were kind of ignored and left to their own uh, devices to survive. Um, so yeah, I, I can see that being um, very... Uh, very poignant in that episode. You gotta, you gotta take action on your own. You can't, can't wait for the law to come, come rescue you because no one's coming to rescue you. As um, satisfying as it was to watch that, Ruby is very correct when she says, "Now you put a target on our backs," more so mm-hmm. than before. Mm-hmm. So, uh, Ruby also mentions the um, um, this could be Trumbull all over again. So here, here's your fun fact for the episode. I looked up what Trumbull, Trumbull Park race riots from 1953 to 1954. Um, so it had to do since 1937, the Chicago housing authority had maintained an unstated policy to house only whites at projects that were located in entirely white neighborhoods. However, the Trumbull Park project was accidentally integrated on July 30th, 1953, because the um, Chicago Housing Authority assumed that Betty Howard, an exceptionally fair-skinned African-American, was white. And beginning on August 5th, in the summertime, uh, and continuing nightly for weeks thereafter, there were crowds of whites firing fireworks, rocks, and racial epithets. Police responded with a show of force, but few arrests. And uh, so that was a real event that happened between 1953 and 1954. And kind of you saw that happening in this episode, yeah? Yeah. In Chicago, no less. So, yeah, it it happened. People moving into where they were not uh, welcomed. And um, (laughs) accidentally, I like the accidentally integrated. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but the uh, the mayor had to get involved in that one. Uh, 
you know, it lasted, it lasted for, for several years trying to integrate that neighborhood. It eventually did integrate, but not without some, some problems, right? So maybe that's uh, Letty's story. You know, she, she integrates that neighborhood eventually. I was listening to Mark Marin's podcast this morning, and the episode was with Terry Crews, and he was talking about growing up in Flint, Michigan, and how he, 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 his family was the first black family to move into their neighborhood, and then eventually there was white flight, his term, of white neighbors moving out of their neighborhood. So in that sense, Terry Crews's family was a pioneer, to, to borrow the term from the show. It's a good term. It's a good term, um, you know, pioneering. And, you know, we think about Hooplecast, we think about pioneering to, you know, the Dakota territories. We sure do. <laughs> yeah, so this is a different kind of pioneering, but yeah, just you're kind of illegally moving into a territory where you're you're not welcome or not, you know, legally allowed to be there. I mean, so, yeah. I can just imagine the the conversation of the neighbors. How did she get the money to buy that place? Well, she must have stolen it. That kind of thing. <laughs> yeah, the police officer was you know, such a dick. <laughs> I'm I'm surprised that she just uh, walked out of there with some bruises on her face. I, I thought for sure that was going to be um, a worse situation for her. Maybe it was. Maybe we didn't see the whole the whole story, but. That was not um, that was not a situation I would want to be in. Definitely, mm, yeah, very frightening. Mm. So, did you all hear about the you know, the references during the Ouija board scene? I didn't notice it when I watched it, but I read about them later. Uh, I saw it on second viewing. Yeah, yeah, the, yeah. The Ouija board spells out George is dead. <laughs> I caught the George. George part, but then I didn't yeah. catch what happened after. So George is. Oh, no. Yeah, it was the one of the kids. I think it was the kid who asked if his, if he was going to enjoy his trip. That was supposed to be Emmett Till, who, you know, went to Mississippi and was murdered in the summer of 55, I think. I think it was August 55. Mm-hmm. Um, cause he's dressed the same way Emmett Till is dressed in a picture of him that, you know, you can find online. Um, and another kid in that scene was named Gil, who people think might be the Gil who wrote Whitey on the Moon. Um, that was written in the previous episode. Yeah, it's Gil Scott Heron. Huh. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. Post that picture when when we get uh, when we get a chance to it. That's I did not know that. That is that in the book that those names are kind of given. No, there's no Ouija board scene in the book. <laughs> oh, um, wow. Mm. Yeah, because he, he talked about a trip. I didn't know what that trip was referencing. Yeah, his trip to Mississippi where he was killed. Um, yeah, I think he's for talking to a white person, I think. Oh, I'm sure. Something mundane. Smiled at the wrong person. Right. I think he was accused of whistling at a white woman. Okay. But I don't yeah. think he did. No. No. 
There was a subtle mention of Martin Luther King in this episode. Yeah. Uh, they were talking about a preacher named Michael who now goes by Martin. And, uh, you know, Martin Luther King was uh, born uh, Michael. And in 1955, King led the Montgomery bus boycott in Montgomery, Alabama. And the boycott um, began after Rosa Park was arrested and lasted one year and 16 days until December 21st, 1956, when the Montgomery public transportation system was legally integrated. So that's a long boycott. That's over a year boycott of the bus system. Um, yeah. But yeah, things are happening. I mean, you know, in Chicago and Alabama, all over the country. And that's, that's where this, um, this series is set. Right, a real powder keg, then things have really settled down. Yeah, <laughs> so much more peaceful now. <laughs> Yikes. So Ruby had a great deal to do this episode. A lot of it was chastising her sister, but seems mm-hmm. fair. Yeah. I don't know, maybe... She- was she doing it just to assuage her guilt? Um Maddie, or did she really just want to try to, you know, make up for it or I mean, try to pay her sister back and do something nice for her sister? I think both. Well, Ruby was making some assumptions that turned out to be false, right? So she, it was kind of uh, pointed out that uh, um, Letty got an inheritance from mother. Um, but that, that didn't turn out to be true. That, that turned out to be that, uh, Braithwaite lady that gave the money to Letty. Yeah, but it felt true to both Letty and Ruby that that would be a thing that their mother would do, which means that their mother had a history of favoritism and letting Mm -hmm. Letitia get away with things, not have responsibility. Ruby's the one has to come in, clean up the mess, be the responsible one. Everyone... I mean, people seem to lo- really like Ruby. Um, she, but I mean, she's performing at every party. So maybe, what would it be if she wasn't a singer? But Letitia is oh. definitely like such a bubbly person. Like you, you, you gotta love Letitia. And but Ruby's like, yeah, but you don't know the other side of it, where she, she's like a whirlwind and leaves town and then asks me for money and like. Yeah, Ru- Ruby's the workhorse. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she's, she said that she's willing to work extra, um, harder than anyone else. Um, she's, she's the stable one in, in that family. Um, uh, but Letty is more fun, more fun to be around, more, you know, she throws block parties. You know, you want to, <laughs> you want to hang out with Letty, but, uh, you know, come back to Ruby when, when you need some money. Uh, Hippolyta? I'm never convinced I'm saying it correctly. Um, <laughs> I think that's the way they said in the episode. Good, so. good. Hippolyta. Um, obviously still reeling from the death of her husband and suspects that there's more to the story than Atticus and Montrose are telling her. Doesn't realize mm. it's wizards, but <laughs> thinks that there's a little more to it. What do you think of what do you make of this Steve what is she, that she finds in that room Oh that uh that can, well we know she's interested in um 
the skies, the stars. She, she's an um, astrologist um, by, by hobby, I guess. Um, so she, she has, um, and, and that little um, model that was on the table did look like some planets revolving around the sun. And so she, she's definitely interested in what that could be. Um, uh, so maybe that's the spinoff of uh, another episode uh, where she she can uh, <laughs> she can explore that. Uh, and now that um, you know her her, her husband's de- dead, she has maybe opportunities to go do that. Um, uh, uh, I didn't really think too much of her in this episode. Um, her interactions with Montrose, I thought Montrose, I. I don't get a good feeling from Montrose. I'm, I, I love the actor, and I was really excited to see him. But three episodes in, I don't like him, I, and I think it's because he doesn't have a good relationship with his son Tick. And Tick's likable, and he's kind of the hero of the story. And um, if you aren't on Tick's side, then you're kind of painted as a, a villain or just someone who can't be trusted. And I can't trust Montrose. I'm. It hurts me to say that, but I mean, you you killed off Uncle George. I liked Uncle George because he was on uh, Tick's side. You kill off Uncle George, and then we you know we got Montrose in his place, and I don't think that's a fair trade. There was one line I think in the last episode that kind of implied that Tick might not be Montrose's son, wasn't that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. but. Uh, I was thinking, who who could it be? Could yeah. it be Uncle George's son? And you know, That's what I was wondering. I don't know. Is that is that in the book? Is that explored further in the book? No, I don't think that's even implied in the book, from what I remember. So maybe it's the son of some other man that Montrose's wife or girlfriend at the time. Was involved with. I don't know. There's and a lot of family secrets. So a lot of family so secrets. So it's his adopted son, not not George's son, but Montrose's adopted son. I get the feeling that Montrose is kind of a fuck up. He's. <laughs> I think didn't he say that he used to take abuse from their father? Yeah. So he's probably the older I, son. He took the beatings. It hardened him to the world. He dulled the pain with alcohol, so he's a substance problem. His wife mm-hmm. is dead, and now he's just doesn't have a purpose, and is just kind of floundering, floundering, and yes. uh, he's kind of the L- L- Letitia to Atticus's Ruby. <laughs> it's an interesting comparison. At this Maybe. point, I wouldn't say that I don't trust Montrose, but um, obviously he and Atticus are at odds, whereas. Uncle George was a kindred spirit. That's right. They liked the same fiction. You know, it all goes back to the paperback novel and the fact that Uncle George liked this stuff and Montrose didn't have use for it. So we see in the episode, they they have a, a book of Dracula. That was Uncle George's favorite novel, I guess. And um, it was placed there and, and I kind of got some some insight from Lovecraft Country Radio. Um, they they have the idea of uh, a vampire dying and being resurrected, coming back anew, uh, in the same way that Letty died in uh, episode two. Now she's back, 
she's been resurrected and she doesn't quite fit into her new society. Like we, we see her at the beginning of the episode in church and she's like totally despondent. Like that's not her scene at all. And she's trying to find her place in the world. And she also has this connection to this haunted house. So she, you know, there's, there's elements of her being in like the underworld or, you know, on a separate plane of existence. Um, I didn't quite get that in the episode that, that, that she was connected to Dracula or that she was some kind of vampire. Um, just, I don't, I didn't quite see it. I, I, the clues were there, but didn't quite fit. Um, but it, it is interesting that Letty, Letty, uh, has this path that she goes on in this episode from being previously dead to where she ends up. She was having fun at that party. <laughs> it was like a great yeah, party. She was the life of the party. <laughs> what, do, what do we think about her first time? I thought you were going to say, what do we think she was serving in the, out of that picture? Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> What's the recipe for that? Um, before we go to that, I just want to say I loved Hippolyta ripping up the book, ripping mm. up Dracula, because she's. I think she's really angry at her husband for getting himself killed. But then she goes and she buys another copy because she loves her husband so much. Yeah, that was nice. So I think I really love their uh, their marriage. Sweet, sweet couple. Yeah. I wish, I think their daughter should have been a little more, <laughs> a little more upset. <laughs> I think Diana adjusted pretty quickly to her father. She's being upstairs dead. playing, playing Ouija board upstairs. I mean, I yeah, be- she flipped out the, then, but I mean, when she was with Atticus making breakfast, it just seemed a little too normal. So, okay, let's go back to the, the, party you were going to ask about Letitia's something? Letitia's first time. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so in the last episode, she had the fantasy of, like, Snake Dick uh, Atticus. And this this one, you almost got... That almost became reality. I mean, it was... It, for for a first time, that's not quite how I... I would want uh, my first time to be. Yeah, it wasn't romantic. And also there was a ghost watching them through the shower curtain. (laughs) (laughs) 15 thrusts in, uh, you know, on a bathroom sink. Yeah, that'll do it. Well, for him, not for her. (laughs) And then she did have a moment of kind of, I want to say shame, but it was, it was, she was, she kind of shook a little bit after uh, Atticus left that room. There, there was a little emotion to it. Not quite sure what emotion that would be, but um, uh, as we learn, it was her first time, so maybe maybe it had something to do with that. Well, they bring in a, a, a woman <laughs> with a Creole accent <laughs> who uh, kinda... sacrifices a goat to drive out the evil spirits. I mean, there's a whole, there's a whole like thing here about a guy that abducted people from uh, a neighborhood and experiment. It did experiments on them in his, in his basement, which is like barely like it's a, it's an element of the story, but like it could be a whole episode. <laughs> it's such a like a, a non thing really that there was a evil surgeon. <laughs> this was 
definitely elements of X-Files. This, this was the most X-Files of all the episodes so far of where there's, there's some kind of haunting that's taking place. And uh, let's, uh, let's bring in some expert, some, you know, Creole woman with a uh, voodoo um, magic. And I love that part. Uh, you know, when they're cutting up with the goat and uh, the blood's pouring out and they're the faces that Letty and Atticus makes. It's just, uh, <laughs> it's just wonderful. Um, and then putting, uh, you know, crosses on their uh, foreheads. Um, beautiful. <laughs> beautiful and grotesque all at the same time. Um, I thought some of the music that was going on in the sub-basement was very uh, reminiscent of X-Files. Mm. So you had that going for you. Is that poor woman dead? Uh, I didn't feel like it. I, I, I wonder if she, she got tossed around. She got tossed around. I wonder if she hit the ground too hard. We we don't check back in with her, but I was very upset. I, I <laughs> she's all right. I hope she's okay. <laughs> I don't even know her name. I hope she's okay. <laughs> she's I think right. the the only victims of the episode was uh, from the elevator of hell. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, that elevator. That's I don't know. <laughs> Such a set piece, that elevator. Yeah. <laughs> Take, taking the souls down to the underworld. She calls out the names. I want to say that I saw somewhere that the names were actually real people, but I'm not sure about that. People who have gone missing in Chicago around yeah, that time. Yeah, maybe period. so, yeah. Yeah, I, I can see that. I mean, I would say to the showrunners, be careful about being too cute about real tragedies. Mm-hmm. I feel like this is something yeah. that um, like, I don't know. If, I don't know if it was the X Files. It seems like it would be the X Files may have done, which is like, what if what if real people were actually abducted by aliens or killed by monsters? Like, no, those people had real real world tragic deaths. Let's not let's not fictionalize real tragedy as part of our. TV show. That's a. I mean, it can get a little gross when you do stuff like that. Yeah, as soon as you introduce a baby into the scene, it's like no, no, you can't be doing that. Well, before I'm that, sure. there was a blob that came out of the floor. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It it was a little wacky, a little wacky. All the all the characters around there. Um, but they all responded to Letty, and Letty kind of led the charge to uh, exercise this demon from her haunted house. Uh, so it was a real powerful moment for Letty. I don't know about the the supporting ghost characters, but uh, that's what that's what you get when you have an episode about a haunted house. You have ghost figures, crazy ghost figures. Very um, was it thirteen ghosts? They, they had 13 crazy ghost figures, and um, this house had 13 rooms in it. Um, they, Letty mentions that at the beginning of the episode, so there, there is a connection. 13 and haunted houses. and We may not see that house again. I don't know. I did have one last fun fact. Okay. Fun fact. So at the beginning of the episode, uh, you see Letty in church. And she's kind of not um, 
not paying any attention, but uh, what you do hear is an audio track over it. You know I love my audio tracks. Mm -hmm. So (laughs) I looked up the audio track. (laughs) So this is um, an audio track from a Nike uh, New York City um, um, Be True campaign from 2017. That's where we're at with this one. So it was... um, um, it's voiced by a trans woman artist, uh, Precious Angel Ramirez, who's talking about another trans woman, a uh, Vogue dancer, uh, Leomi uh, Maldonado, um, who uh, from New York. So it's a New York themed, um, and um, you know, it starts off, "Hey Letty," or "Hey Lay," right for Leon Leomi uh, Maldonado. It sounds like Letty. This is what, what it sounds like, but it, um, it's talking about someone else. And um, just what did you do to make a mark on this world? What mountains did you climb? What angels gave you wings? It's, um, it's kind of but the, 2017. So that when, when you mentioned that there was going to be a Beyonce song, I was not surprised uh, when, you, when you said <laughs> that. Yeah. Yeah. We're going far into the future to kind of give us some reference here, but it is interesting. Nike, it was a Nike commercial and there's a YouTube video. I can, I can post the YouTube video with the, the audio track, awesome. <clears throat> but uh, just about being, be true to yourself. Uh, find your own way. Um, don't conform to the norms of society. I think um, that's what um, it's telling Letty to do. Kind of be your own person. Get out of that church. <laughs> Go buy a haunted house. <laughs> well, it is interesting that when she did find out that her house was haunted, she didn't go back to the church for help. She she found she found other outsides help in a Creole voodoo witch doctor. Yeah, didn't <laughs> did did she answer how? She found this person. Her mother? Was it her mother? Mother was crazy, but at least she knew a voodoo. She knew people. Woman? She I knew the know. right people. Yeah. Yeah, I think in the book her mom is like a fortune teller, but you know, she knows her mom is full of shit. But you know, she just puts on a show and is trying to make people happy. Oh yeah. Her mother was full of shit, but she knew people who weren't. Yeah. Yeah, she she did mention something like that in the episode. Hmm. <laughs> uh, but uh, third episode, I I really enjoyed third episode. Uh, Holy Ghost. Um, got the old school haunted house kind of uh, theme going. Uh, can't really go wrong with that. It, it it is interesting that I didn't like episode two with the mansion and a bunch of white people walking around with magic. But episode three, I did enjoy with a uh, Victorian house. It, it, there, there are some parallels there, but you know, one was taking, taking um, a different approach, and I, I think I like that uh, different approach in the third episode more than the second episode. I like that the episode ended with Letitia being more empowered. Yeah, and maybe that's they, that's what it is. Yeah. The characters were really victimized in the second episode. 
So the next episode is A History of Violence. Okay. And then mm-hmm. after that, Strange Case. Strange what? Strange Case. Case, okay. Strange Case. Not cakes, case. Like Strange Case of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde? No. Uh oh. <laughs> uh oh. Maybe. Who, who's a good who's a good focus on? Atticus. Atticus had some a little bit of range. He he had some stuff to do this this episode, this last episode. I can tell you the fourth episode will be a Ruby episode. Ruby. I'm pretty confident. Really? Mm-hmm. I saw the trailer and it looked like it was gonna be uh I'm sorry, the fifth episode. Oh fifth one, okay. The fifth yeah. the strange case one. It's a Ruby episode. The fourth one's the museum episode. Yeah, National Treasure-like episode. Yeah. Mm. I mean, it's going to be very strange to watch the internet's reaction as we go from week to week. I, at some point, the people who are still with the show are like going to get it. It seems like they are making changes to keep some of the characters involved a little more than they were in the book. Like, I don't remember Tick being involved this much in... Uh, Letty's story in the book, and but I can understand that you got to keep the main cast involved um, on a TV show. You can't just—it's a little harder on a TV show just to have the main characters just disappear that much. I would say it is and it isn't because Love and uh, Leftovers, for example, like had Matt Jameson's episode, had Nora's episode in the first season. Whole members of the cast would not show up for an episode or two. And I think Watchmen kind of did the same thing. Like, people, mm-hmm. like, those, the writers just said, trust us, it'll all make sense once you've seen the, the collective work, but in the meantime, we're gonna detour and explore this avenue, we're gonna explore this, change the tone, change the focus, the character perspective. Like, it'll either hang together or it yeah. doesn't hang together, and if it doesn't, is that really, like, a bad thing? I mean, I don't know. I think for Watchmen, they set up uh, Sister Night early on and then uh, just kind of went off, uh, left her behind and like introduced all these other characters, the supporting cast and like the other mysteries that were going on. Uh, and then came back to her right at the end and her ties to, um, you know, other people that were involved. So yeah, I, I can see that um, happening in this episode. Or this season, or this series, um, and, and I'm I'm okay with that. I'm I like this episode very much. It was a le- uh, Letty heavy episode, but she uh, Journey Smolt did a great job. Uh, Smollett did a great job. Um, so if there's more episodes like that, I I, I wouldn't be opposed to it. All right. Well, find us at hooplecast.com or go into Facebook and look for Hooplecast. Join the group. Bye. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Goodbye. I'm going.